Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. Jacobs, and welcome to episode nine of the Data Driven Security Podcast. Joining me, Bob Rudis. How are you doing today, Bob? Jay, it's really late for a podcast. It's oh, Eastern Coast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. For for those of us that are still getting used to school wake up times for the kids and stuff, yeah. Yeah, but you're usually up right now, aren't you? Sometimes, yeah. Just the first couple weeks of school are kind of rough, and then there's the changeover and the darkness and stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm cool. Okay. Now, you don't seem quite as lively as usual, though. Are we, we going to pick it up a little bit during this episode? Or? I'll, I'll be I'll be lively once 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 I have a reason to be lively, which would be our guest. Well, let's let's bring on our guest, shall we? I think that's a good idea. Joining us tonight is Mike Sconzo. Did I get that right, Mike? You did. It's a, a fairly rare last name, but you did a great job. Sconzo. Okay. Java. He's better known by his Twitter handle, which is sushi. Sushi, spelled not as expected, unless you know him, and then, of course, it's like, yeah, that's how it's spelled. Yeah. 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 Like, seriously, dude. And so, Mike, you're coming to us from uh, currently at Click Security. That's correct. And you've got a, a long, rich history in information security and, and recently in data analysis and all the good math stuff. Yes. So, uh, so how are you doing, Mike? Great, great to have you on. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Uh, finally enjoying the break in the really hot weather down here in Austin. So, so quite pleased, and, and I am fully awake because it's relatively early for me. It, it, it gets unhot in Austin. I mean, it's Texas, dude. Like seriously, it, it's not triple digits, so it's less hot. Okay, it's less hot in Texas. Okay. I mean, you sort of buy, like just like I buy into like nine months of just frigid temperatures and nine feet of snow by living in Maine. You sort of buy into the whole I'm going to melt most of the year by living in Texas, right? Um, yeah, I, I definitely by Maine standards, there's a lot of melting. By Texas standards, it's really only one or two months of absolute hotness, and the rest is quite tolerable. You know, if you can wear shorts up until Christmas because it's still 55 degrees outside, that's okay. We wear shorts up until Christmas in Maine, and it's like negative twelve out. So I don't. I seriously do. <laughs> Way too cold. <laughs> All right. So Mike, in in your bio, you you have these words, and uh, I, I wrote them down here. I'm just going to read them. Okay. Yeah. He's recently been using various data analysis techniques to to look security related to look at security related data in a new light, where before he just used a hex editor. And then in talking before we hit record here, uh, you also mentioned um, that basically working with data analysis is an attempt to pick up some new tools to help describe and find patterns in the data that as an analyst you could just intuitively feel were there, right? Yeah. So I was hoping you could give us sort of your background uh, starting in information security and then how you, you've evolved into the data science uh, approach towards information security. Sure, I'll, I'll hopefully make it relatively brief. I uh, started out working on my master's at Texas A&M Computer Science with kind of a focus in information security. That kind of, me, kind of got me spun up into the whole scene. Wound up working for A&M for a couple of years and then found my way out to Sandia uh, as a contractor for three and a half years where I was doing some need-to-know type uh, um, like group management, and then also some, some R&D for a couple organizations. From there, after I, I had my fill of Albuquerque, came back to Texas, where I worked at the Electric Reliability Council of Texas doing security operations. They basically run the electric market and the electric grid for the state of Texas. And then from there, I jumped to NetWitness, where I survived about six months post-RSA acquisition. Uh, wound up starting a company with a really good friend of mine, Rocky Stefano. Uh, the company was Visible Risk. 
where we got acquired by Click last August. And so, so now here I am, one year and one month post-acquisition. That's what happened to Visible Risk. Yes. That's cool. Sorry, I I, I wondered what happened to that because I, I I mean I follow a little bit of this stuff, but like the, the machinations are sometimes hard to follow. That's cool. Congrats, I guess, for that. But that's cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was it was good. You know, there's always new and interesting challenges whenever you kind of open that new chapter. But but overall, very positive. And Maki's awesome too. So. Yeah, he's he's great. We originally met at NetWitness. I was hired, I think, three weeks before he was. And then we found out we live about seven minutes from one another. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, was, it was pretty cool. I, I was going to say, it's actually a shame that the actual NetWitness product did, didn't survive as long after the RSA acquisition as you did, though. So. <laughs> I don't know if I can disagree. <laughs> so, Mike, why don't you tell us uh, about Click Security and, and how, how you spend your days now? Sure. So... So my team specifically at Click, we're looking for kind of, as I said, using some new tools to help describe and find patterns in data. The majority of the team has a very long and very rich security background as well. So, you know, as analysts, we can look at network traffic or look at log data and kind of say, oh, you know, this, this feels like C2 and then kind of hunt through it and then, you know, discover whether or not it is malware-related or interesting behavior. So for us, the challenge is how can we really find ways to help operationalize that at a larger scale? So looking for various patterns, trying to use both supervised and unsupervised learning to help kind of guide analysts and, and guide ourselves through a bunch of data to find interesting activity or to help at least say, oh, this activity here is is benign, so we don't necessarily have to pay as close attention to that. Okay. And now, I think Click Security came up on our radar, Bob, um, what, months and months ago. Yeah, they were doing these icky Python things with data science and stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, did a, you did a blog post, Bob, where you redid a Python notebook in R, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt the need to, like, undirty the data by actually doing it in R versus letting Python handle it. <laughs> now, you're joking. I, I, I'm course, only right? joking. I'm only, Mike knows I'm joking. Hopefully everyone on the podcast knows I'm joking. I, I wield Python almost as well as I wield R. Right. I could yes, do you do. But, um, but, but the reality is, is there's probably more InfoSec folk that know Python than R, and one of our missions in life is to change that. So. I think that's a great mission. I've been trying to learn R with very little success, so I'm always amazed from people who can understand R and Python. It's, it's, a, it's a, the learning curve is huge. I mean, the Jay and I, I don't think Jay or I would disagree that, no. that this isn't something that you're going to pick up overnight, and it, you, your mind eventually has to break, crack, like I, I always think of it like the, I mean, I'm not, not sure if you're a Star Trek person, Mike, but it's like that episode with Picard, and he's like, he's being tortured by the Cardassians, and he goes, there are four lights, and he's about to go, there are five lights, and that's our, like, you actually get, oh, there are five lights, so, yeah. Ah, nice, okay. It's a, that was a quick and obscure reference that, um, that, every, I, that I, I like Star that, Trek, that, and I barely even got it. Jay, that every other, that every other InfoSec pro listening to this, besides you, will get, I guarantee Right. <laughs> so, but that back to click security and the whole topic that we're here. Um, the uh, the you've got that data hacking project out there, right? And it's it lives in GitHub, and it's basically a collection of projects around hacking on data, right? Security data. Correct. So part of part of our internal value prop and sell was, look, it's part of our job to understand data understanding data and using techniques and these algorithms that's great, that's not necessarily the secret sauce. The secret sauce is in being able to use it or do it at scale and, and productionize it, right? Put it into a product so it's useful by more than the people who are writing the code. So kind of for the community, though, we wanted to, anytime we did a presentation or anytime we thought we came up with something cool, we wanted to put it out there so people could actually hopefully, use them as a way to learn and kind of get in and interested by data analysis. And that way, they'd have kind of these pre-built use cases and hopefully some sample data 
they could then run to and, and do science, right, on, on their own. Well, and, 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 and it isn't just one type of data, too, which is what I find just phenomenal. I mean, Jay and I were actually, when we, when we found you guys, like, I forget what we were doing. I think we were doing post-book research to see who was doing data science and security or whatever, and, and we saw your stuff, and it was like, oh, my gosh, there's, like, other people out there. It's so cool. And then then you keep adding to the diversity of, of data that you work with. I mean, you work with everything from network logs to NetFlow to malware samples. Yes. Yeah, uh, the team... You know, myself, a guy named Dave Dorsey, uh, another guy who, who left a few months ago, though, Brian Wiley, we all have really diverse interests and experiences. So for us, it's, you know, any way we can understand different data better, uh, there's always ways we can find different use cases to bring that back into the product. So the internal sale is pretty easy. And it's nice for us to say, hey, you know, not only can you use this technique on, on files, but this is how you can apply it, as you said, to network traffic or something else. Yeah, and do you have like a, we're going to put the link out to that to that product, the GitHub repo in our show notes here. But if somebody visits there, do you have a few that you would recommend? Do you have a few favorite that are just near and dear to your heart? Oh man, um, I mean it really depends on interests. I, and I know we talked about it initially offline. The DGA one I think is super cool. I'm a huge huge fan of the SQL injection one. I just think that one's really neat. And the one that we most recently put from uh, B-Sides Vegas using machine learning to kind of programmatically generate Yara signatures, I'm, I'm a big fan of that one. I was a little hesitant to kind of go down that path, but Dorsey, the other guy on the team, beat me over the head and said, no, we're doing this whether you like it or not. Uh, and it worked much better than anticipated. And so that one, that one was basically where you... You took a bunch of malware samples and you grabbed uh, a bunch of static variables about it, static attributes of the, the malware, and then used those to do uh, some clustering, right? And then depending on the, the how the clusters came out, from each cluster you would generate a set of Yara signatures, right? Correct. And, and you know, kind of first pass, Yara signatures were really, really basic. You know, they only used AND, so there were no OR, and they weren't very complex. But in our test sample, it, it worked much better than we couldn't imagine, even with just a simple one. And as part of that, you know, we looked at a couple different, actually a few different clustering algorithms and kind of set them up a couple different ways, you know, only to kind of show and give people a way to go through their own experimentation. So when we were looking at data, we said, oh, maybe we should try this clustering algorithm because A, B, and C. And oh, maybe we should scale or see what happens if we don't scale or see what happens if we do PCA. So people could kind of play with all those variables on their own and, and see if they can get better or different results from anything in the notebook. And that that is like that's just the coolest part ever. I mean, like, because you got all this stuff out there and people can go and try it and they can tweak it and you know run this or don't run that or like you said scale, don't scale, try it with PCA, you know, all the different things that you could throw in here and and largely you just try it and see what happens, right? And that's I mean that's. I mean, that's pretty much what it's all about, I think, trying and seeing what happens and seeing, and the whole point, of course, is to, to do better than what we're doing now, right? Yes. So so if you can generate Yara signatures that are, are very, very efficiently, because it's all done through machines, right? You can generate all this stuff, and um, if, if it's just better than what you're doing now in, in whatever way you measure better, um, I mean, that's really the the criteria for success, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better than what we're doing now. It's, so. it's completely correct in, in our exact outlook. And, you know, one of the things that we love are when people hook us and, you know, and challenge us and tell us if we're doing something wrong or how we can do it better because it's great. You know, it's, it's doing it better and we're not infallible and we're trying to learn and, and figure things out the same as everybody else and we're just trying to get some, some data points out there for discussion. Right, right. Yeah, and one thing I really liked, um, I was looking through your, your presentation again, and the presentation is online, the video of it, so you actually get to watch you guys talking and the slides and everything. So, um, But early on, you actually put your questions up there. Right, you had a slide where you had two questions, right? Um, and I mean, that's like, that's the most fundamental thing that you can do for research like this, right? What am I trying to answer? Right, because I mean, a lot of people will grab data, like they'll grab malware data, and just start trying to do stuff, 
without getting that question out there first and they end up finding things that are convenient or you know um, may not answer any question that anybody had but you know they get an answer anyway um, so I think starting with those questions it was so cool just to see that early on having the questions out there you know can you can you cluster this effectively and then once it's clustered can you generate Yara signatures from it you know so it's it was really fantastic to see that so really really great job on that Thanks. That's that's awesome. As you can see in the video, I've got a giant goofy grin on my face. I'm super happy that that someone found it exciting. It, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I'm sure there's more than just me, um, but yeah, I I thought it was great. So um, when you were going through that though, um, what were the challenges that you were facing? Like, I mean, like doing this type of research, it's not you know you don't you don't start at the beginning and you go through your 10 steps and you get to the end you're done right it's like you take the first step and then that didn't work and you take your second step and that didn't work you know and you, it's constantly a few step forwards a few step back you know retrying things so what during that project what were some of the challenges that you faced that things that may not have worked or how'd those work out oh man it would take hours to go over everything that didn't work <laughs> um, that's one thing I, I try to instill in my team is failure is always an option just make sure to fail quickly and understand why you failed. But but as an overall whole, I mean everything from gathering the data and looking at samples and trying to get for for kind of one of the things we wanted to look at was well how well does the clustering do with malware families? So gathering results from virus total, you know, so, so data gathering, all those kind of cleanup tasks, getting the the features. You know, Picking, I don't want to know, the right features, but, but going through feature selection several different times. And then there was each algorithm that we tried. So, you know, with dbscan, playing around with the scikit-learn is how many samples do you want per cluster, or what are the different ways we can throw k in there for k-means, and trying to figure out, oh, is there, you know, an optimal way, or do we get better results if we PCA some, some this dimension versus another dimension, or... You know, is scaling really the right thing? Because maybe we want the algorithm to to maybe slightly misbehave in hopes that some of the differences stand out. I mean, so all those type of things I mean months of just trying it and failing and you know, you, you want to run on a small enough set and then when you kind of think you have an idea, you try it on the bigger set, and so maybe what worked on the smaller set would fail on the bigger set, and so just just a whole lot of failure. And then trying to generate the R signatures was was just kind of a mess. And as we were working on our little modules, the, the R guys do a great job. They came out and they said, hey, now you can write custom file modules or different modules in C for R. And I was like, ah, we already started all this other stuff. So we just we just kept on that path, and that was one of those, well, to do, we'll, we can always revisit if, if people are interested. Yeah, definitely. And you started to touch on something that, I know through through my own work that it's I, I don't know how unique security is as an industry, but trying to find the um, uh, the the ground truth, right? The 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 data set that you want to use to train your algorithm to to start with, where you know this is malware, this is not malware, you know, something like that, where you say, how do I get this data? And I know from my own experience, trying to get clean data that you know is labeled correctly or that's valid for the research, it's got to be just, that is probably one of the most challenging things that we have in security, I think. I, so. I completely agree. Um, one of the data points that also agrees with us, we recently hired a, a great mathematician slash data scientist, Becky, over at Click, and she's done this type of work in other industries and, and that was one of her very first comments was, wow, looking at your guys' use cases and looking at some of the data you've given me, what, what do you do for ground truth? It's not here half the time and, you know, you can't make it up, so, you know, how do we handle that? So I, I think your intuition is, it, it lines up with mine and other people, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I was going through um, um, Jason Trost, who's over at, Bob, help me out here, ThreatStream? Yeah, ThreatStream, yeah. ThreatStream. He has a, a blog post on uh, covert.io, his personal blog, I think, um, and he lists all of these security papers, and I've been going through them, and that's got to be like a common running theme. People are like, you know, for good domains, we go to Alexa, and, you know, and then people are talking about how that's, you can't really trust that because you get, you know, 
virus total or something will list those domains uh, as having malware, you know. Um, so, I mean, there's there, it, it's such a messy, messy environment just trying to get that first set of data that you can then say, you know, this is good, this is bad, let's, let's start going, right? It, it's such a huge challenge. It, it is, and that's actually one of the things that we've been playing with recently, the past month or so, is can we kind of aggregate a bunch of potential ground truths and come up with some sort of confidence or ranking that says, you know, where the data tells us that, yeah, this is more than likely malicious or this is more than likely benign. And, and we've had some, some interesting initial successes. You know, we have to scale it out and see if it really works broadly, but um, a couple of naive approaches actually paid off fairly well. Yeah. It, it, it's tough, though, right? It's, it's, it's super crazy. Yeah, and you mentioned the um, the DGA classifier um, in the in the data hacking project, and that's something I've actually gone through that pretty much line by line at this point, and I've recreated most of it with an R, and I've been experimenting mm -hmm. with just a ton of different things. Um, but one of the one of the fun things is the the quantity of data that is out there, right? And so, like, if you take something that's trying to find, and DGA for those who don't know is a domain generated or Domain generation, generating algorithm—that's what it is. Um, and so it's you know a lot of C2s will automatically generate domains and stuff like that. And this is a, a classifier to say these are generated by an algorithm, these are not, kind of a thing. And getting getting the ground truth data for that has been um, really fun, and I, it really affects the performance of the algorithm in in real life. Um, but at the same time, the um, the false positive rate because of the huge volume of data that I'm throwing at this thing. You know, like it's the, the, the um, confusion matrix is saying that it's like 99.7% accurate and that 0.3% will generate thousands of domains that are misclassified, you know, and it's just, it's astonishing the, the, the size that we're working with and the accuracy and just, it's, it's amazingly fun it's, stuff. It's, but that DGA one is a, a really fun one to look through as well. So, 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 Mike, I, I actually get to do something to Jay that he does to me almost every podcast. So do you want to explain to the listeners what a confusion matrix is, Jay, or are you just going to let them be in the dark about that? <laughs> I'll take that, Bob. <laughs> I, I do. <clears throat> so in a, in a classifier, for example, if you say, I mean, the whole purpose is to say this is generated by an algorithm or not. So this is DGA or not. And once you, when you have your corpus of um, ground truth data that you have labeled as these are all DGA, these are not, you run it through the classifier. But before you do that, you grab a chunk of that data and you hold it out. And then you generate your algorithm. And then on that data, you bring it back in. And because you know what it's supposed to be, you run through and classify it. And then you say how many were classified correctly or not. Um, and then you get what's called a confusion matrix. So if it was a DGA was it classified as a DGA or not? And you get this if it's if it's a two two category classifier, you get this two by two matrix. Right? It's supposed to be DGA. It was DGA or it wasn't. It's not, and it was DGA or wasn't. Um, so you get this what's called a confusion matrix. How you can think of how confused was the actual algorithm, or not confused if you're lucky. Um, so that's what that is, Bob. Thank you for forcing me to explain that. It's probably the last time I get to do that, but that's cool. So I've, I've got a question if guests are allowed to ask questions. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Perfect. So looking at the DGA notebook, did you think of any features and anything that we missed when kind of moving it over to R and doing your own analysis with it? It's, uh, so, no. I mean, like, the short answer is no, because um, what you guys did in that, in the class where you created, I think there was, like, four, four features, five features, th three to five, something like that, and it was incredibly simple and very good at the and, same and time. And fast, and fast. And and fast. And so, um, I mean, what I've, I've, like, added, I don't know, probably 15 other features and trying this and trying that. and Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we've been reading a, a ton of papers. Um, some of them are ones that Jason links to on his site and other ones we've just kind of harvested and found. And, you know, we, we've seen folks, well, I think the largest list we've seen from one of the papers is, like, 47 features for DGA stuff, Jay, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like some, yeah, some, and, and, and some crazy stuff in those features too. So. Yeah, yeah. And some of, them, some of the researchers will grab data that nobody in the real world has access to, you know. 
It's like, hey, we were on the, uh, you know, the, um, the root name server for six months, and we had, the, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's not going to fly for us. You know, we're not going to have that data. Yeah. So. Well, and and the flip side of that, going, you know, just going back to the scaling and performance, because like you both have mentioned that so far. And, you know, the the other issue with this is it's it's great to play with some of this stuff. And the researchers play a lot with this stuff. Like they'll grab a ton of data, they'll get a bunch of data for free because they're researchers or whatever. Yeah. But then when you know, if you were to try to implement some of the things that they you know, they, they may even found to work pretty well in real life, like in real time, like to actually classify all the bad domains in one day, in a day, you know, you're just not gonna be able to do that with some of those really cool algorithms that they come up with because you know, I I think some of them on really decent systems, we've calculated that to calculate one of the features would be like fifty five hours. For you know to, to 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 do all the new bad to to do all the domains in one day to, to say good or bad for them, that that's great. That's not exactly real time detection. I mean, it's better than what a lot of people have right now. Some people have to wait like you know two months to know their poem, but um, but still, it's not real time stuff. It's not something you're just gonna slip into an IDS environment or a SIEM environment or whatever to do that. So it's that balance of what works fast and what works well, and you know, and try to right. figure out what that sweet spot's gonna be. And so like when you guys created the the DGA classifier that you did. You know, with uh, I think it was five variables, five variables. But I mean, it's it's quick, right? I mean, it's not it's not like 15 that I tried at one point. And so to to take like a list of uh, domain names for a day, you know, 100,000 domain names to generate five features is is uh, much less resource intensive, and you'll get a slight trade off in the efficiency, the accuracy, and things like that. But you can finish it in a day. You know, yep. so there's that trade-off, right? I mean, we we don't want to, you know, load up every single. We don't want 47 features that will finish next Thursday, right? I mean, we gotta. There's a trade-off here that we're gonna have to make at some point. So yeah, I mean, uh, th th there's also other issues where, um, I I think all your features were were locally based just from the domain information itself, and when you try to start to bring in other information from like API sources on the internet, whatever whatever those like you know, virus holes one, there's a bunch of other ones out there. Yeah, you, know, you are you're already introducing like 150 millisecond delay, or if if you've got a really good connection, 30 millisecond delay just for the API call if it comes back instantaneously before you process it, and that you know then you're automatically looking at engineering you know constraints about that and what kind of systems you have to build to incorporate that stuff, and it just gets really complex really quickly to do some of that. So that's one of the core core things about what what you developed um, in that Click Notebook. A click security notebook is that you know it's it is something self-contained. It's something people can run and get experience with before they have to deal with all these other frustrating elements. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, I I know Bob probably isn't going to push me on this, but I do have uh, a series of blog posts that I'm going to try and write up to walk through building the the DGA classifier, taking what you guys did at at Click and Python and bringing it over in R and, and trying just a ton of different things. Like I think you guys just ran with um, Random Forest. Yes. And there's this package within R called the Carrot package, and they've loaded in, I mean, all of the all the packages within R that do machine learning, they brought them into one package basically, and it wraps all these other things. And so you get your data set, and you're like, all right, do a Random Forest support vector machine, you know, this, that, 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 run all these different models, and let's pick out the one that's best. You know, and, and um, it's it's a really uh, or, fantastic package. Or, and so, or, or Jay's machine runs out of memory and crashes and burns. But yeah. Or yeah, <laughs> on like nine out of ten of them, and so. Um, yep. Or they don't finish. You know, that's the other thing. Um, yeah. That's when you're yeah. doing it right. So that'll be that'll be. Um, I'm just gonna put air quotes soon. That blog post uh, series will be coming out. Um, I have to finish my work too. I got sidetracked, but. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really fun looking through what you guys did, and it was great looking at it because it gave me a jump start. You know, I was like, all right, I want to tackle this. How do I do it? And it's a jump start right there. And so I hope to take that and bring it to the next level, and maybe somebody after me will look at what I did and what you did and say, oh, I can do even better. You know. Yep. So, and that's the whole point, right? That's yeah, that's awesome. I'm, now I'm super excited to see the blog post. So no pressure, but finish them. Yeah, yeah, soon. We'll <laughs> Do you, do you find so the folks that you talk to and, and you've been at a few conferences, um, a couple more than we have, and a bunch of the B sides ones, um, yeah. And I guess maybe I'll focus more on the B sides LV. And we we've asked other folks this these questions before we've been there. Um, but 
did you find a lot of interest? Like we we couldn't see the audience from the the, the videos from there. Like were, were there a lot of people in the audience? Were people kind of energized at what you were doing? Are you are you getting lots of good questions about that? Is there a lot more interest in this than you've seen in other years? I, yes. Uh, so the audience more than I would have imagined. Uh, I think every seat was full, and there was at least one row of standing people across the entire back wall. So, so super, super pleased. The thing that I thought was the best was there was 15 minutes of solid questions after we gave the presentation, and the types of questions people were asking, totally not softballs. So there's a lot of people who really understand what's going on, and you know they, they're questioning our methods, and you know did we look at this, or did we think about that? In some cases it was, yeah, and it didn't quite work. In other cases, no, we thought we should, but we just never got around to it, or no, we had no idea. That's something awesome that, you know, we have to play with, or better yet, you play with it and, and publish the results and see what, what happens. Um, you know, one of the guys in the audience, he was asking us about, you know, did we examine using different kernels? And I was like, whoa, that's, that's a great question, right? Do, and then, no, we just stuck with Gaussian, but, you know, I never would have expected those those types of questions, so it, I thought it was awesome. Super jazzed. Uh, that's great. That's great. Have you gotten any feedback uh, after, like, you got off the, the stage, you know, did you get any feedback afterwards, or anybody approach you, or, or have you heard anything since then? So... I got stopped in the casino at Mandalay Bay walking through by someone who saw the presentation. So that, that was a great feeling. Um, he, really, he really dug it. He seemed to be excited about it. So, so that even made me more excited. Since then, it, it's been relatively quiet. So if anybody listening wants to uh, help us pick it up or wants to call us out on something, totally up for more discussions. Good. Good. You know, we we keep threatening to do a data science like conglomerate hangout one of these days, Jay. We keep you, threatening that. Like you know, it's getting just you know, starting a hangout and anyone that wants to talk data science just jump on. Yeah, we should do that. Like yeah. some Friday or something. Yeah. All right. Count me in if I'm invited. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean now we've talked to what like five data people in security, you know, something like that. So yeah, Mike, you'd definitely be invited. Excellent. Short list. Very short list. So, Mike, what um, what's uh, what's your future look like? You got uh, any big projects coming up? Any big plans? Um, yeah, you know, future is is kind of all options at this moment. Um, still playing with a couple other things. I hope the next classifier or or set of things that we're going to release uh, is either it probably revolve around exploit kit URL classification. So kind of going back to things that, the type of data that we try to look at, part of our use case is, from a company standpoint, what types of data will generally everybody have access to, right? And we figure most people have access to proxy logs or people can run bro on their network to get something that looks like a proxy log. So we're going to delve into the URLs a little bit. That one has been interesting. That's one where we've been playing with some different ground truth methods to try and figure out what exactly is malicious because when you're dealing with, you know, gigabytes upon gigabytes of network traffic, you only want to go through all that by hand. Right. To see if, if we can cheat a little bit. Yep. Absolutely. That sounds exciting. It, it is. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's the, the best part for us is, you know, being able to come up with our own, own challenges that, you know, we want to investigate or we're always curious about because we saw something in the field. Um... So, so we did it. All right. Well, let's go into the, uh, the second half of our podcast here. So, Bob, we're going to try something new in this episode, right? We're, we're so going to like just confuse all like twelve listeners today. <laughs> what? We're we're totally we're breaking the mold this podcast. Everybody, just so you know. Right. So one of the things that, um, that, for those who don't know, Bob is like um, I, I, maybe a black hole might be the better term because like anything around him gets sucked into his head. And, um, and so as a result, like he, he is like my version of Google. Like literally I'd be like, 
hey, Bob, where is uh, this type of thing? And I get this link back within like, you know, 0.3 seconds or something. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but as a result, he, he also has a, a pretty good pulse on the industry and data science and statistics and on this whole world. So we're going to try and take uh, some things that have come out since the last podcast and just talk through them real quick. So there's so many interesting things going on out there, so much change, um, and so many great blog posts um, that we're going to go through a few. And, Mike, you're absolutely going to have to participate, even though, even if you didn't read any, right? You're going to be dragged into this. So. And if he has ones we don't have, um, that's also kind of cool, too, because we don't have to hog the whole show. We did invite him on and stuff. So. Right. <laughs> Yeah, just saying there. So, Bob, you want to walk through the list? Uh, yeah, so um, I, I think the, the one that I put to the top, and it, it's there for a bunch of reasons, right? Um, but uh, Hadley Wickham, and for the folks that don't know Hadley, like we'll, we'll often just refer to Hadley to each other and even on Twitter um, because, like, the R universe, when you say Hadley, you know who Hadley is. And I think even the IPython universe people know that too. But um, So, yeah, he's a chief scientist over at R Studio, probably one of the, the, the better environments for, for doing data science. And I, and I, and just as an aside, like I, I use IPython and, and I do use RStudio a ton and I still find using RStudio makes a lot more sense for doing the iterative um, approach to, to working with data and stats and all that stuff versus IPython. I just find it's, a, I, I find it's a better environment, but like to each his own on how they actually do that. Um, and you can actually do some Python in, in R now too, in R Studio now, which is kind of cool. But he wrote a great article, and again, we'll have links for all these things, so I won't be spouting URLs on here. But uh, for the uh, the Institute for Math Mathematical Statistics Bulletin, uh, a really great article on data science: How is it different to statistics? Um, I and you know Hadley's brilliant, and he phrases things so well, and he comes up with with very rational and just cool things across the board. He's done, written tons of packages uh, for, for R and really contributed well to the data science community. And um, I, I think folks that don't don't read this article and who either come at data science thinking, oh, it's just those stats nerds, or if they come at it with more of a stats background, they go, oh, it's just those data science morons or whatever, because like those two camps seem to be sort of forming right now or have been forming for a while. Um, I, I think Hadley does a great job, you know, set like leveling the playing field and just setting, you know, where data science fits in and where statistics fits in. And just how the two work together, and how they they're actually really good at building onto each other as well, too, right? So, because it isn't just statistics. I mean, data science is a whole host of things, right? It's getting data, cleaning data. We even talked about some of that, you know, dur during this episode with Mike. Um, and then stats it lays on top of that and doing some 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 more as well. But basically, I think as fundamental premises, you know, you collect data, you analyze it, and communicate the results. You're doing all of that, and it's fundamental to data science and the analysis part, which which can involve a lot of stats or not involve a whole lot of stats, um, is a huge component of that. And all that stuff combined is how you actually sell a product or get an initiative funded, or find malware or find good stuff or whatever in there. And I, I you know, Jay, like I don't know, I don't know if you found anything you know really cool nuggets from there. I just found it to be a great overall thought-provoking article for folks that even are on opposite sides of the spectrum from the argument. Yep. Yeah. Did you want to talk about the uh, Simply Statistics response as well? Uh, you, you can do that one. So that, uh, you know, so I mean, everything that you said about Headley's post, but then the, the folks over at Simply Statistics had a response blog post, and they're coming at it from the statistics angle, and, and basically Hadley was saying that, you know, data science is a lot more than just statistics, right? There's the, as you mentioned, Bob, the collection, the cleaning, and the visualization on the backside, all this other stuff. And, and basically they were saying, of course that's data science, of course that's what we do, but because in academia there's all these reasons, you know, they, they focus on the statistics, it's a lot cleaner and things like that, it's a lot easier and stuff. But, but they were saying, like, of course we do all those other things, you know, and it was, it was kind of an interesting response to Hadley. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's definitely valid points to this separation between data science and statistics. Um, and it's interesting to read, to read both of them together, I think. So, and speaking of that, the uh, the process of getting data and cleaning it, the, the next post that you had on your list here is about the importance of janitorial work within research and data science. Yeah, so um, yeah, this is one where um, it's from the Data Science LA blog. It's a really good blog. They do a lot of cool topics um, in and outside of R and all sorts of stuff around, st around stats and things. And actually, they, they do more big data stuff lately. I won't hold that against them, but um, the... <laughs> It's such a it's such a weird nomer like big data like it's just yeah whatever anyway um 
And I just found, you know, like I, I so I, I'll be honest, I, I, I saw like when this first came out a couple weeks ago, I, I kind of just sort of dismissed it because it was like, duh. And I was really surprised at just how the 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 this, this, the the data science Twitterverse, right? So that's like point zero that point zero 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 one percent of the Twitterverse or whatever, a tiny you know, tiny fraction, right? Uh, just went all like all a flutter about this thing, like it was just like you know cross posted and retweeted and whatever. And um, you know, it's just one of those things where I, I guess someone needed to say it in a very in artic in a more articulate way than maybe some of the books have of late or whatever. But you know, the the idea that you're gonna spend a ton of time trying to figure out how to get the data, how to get the data in a timely way, how you're going to clean up the data, how you, you know, all, all about this stuff to get it set up to do that. And it's, it's, I, I think one reason why maybe it didn't resonate with me as much as it did with others is just some of the work that you and I have been doing of late. Um, right. It's involved all this, right? It's like, it's like that's why it was a dud, right. it's like because we're, we're spending more time with that than anything else. One of the points that they had in that article that I thought was great is that they were saying like you can cut corners in that data data cleanup part. And Mike, you've probably come across this too. You can cut corners, but you're probably going to pay a price later, okay. right? So if you try to, and I think they talked about or alluded to the use of automated tools or something, right? Right. Right. So if you take all of your data and you dump it into this off-the-shelf thing that does most of the work. In an automatic way, first uh, they say they were talking about how you may lose uh, your ability to build your intuition about the data. One of the one of the great benefits of getting there in there and cleaning the data yourself is that you learn things. You learn how the the shape of the distributions, the the range of the uh, you know qualitative variables and things like that. You can you learn about it going in and cleaning it. But if you skip that and you throw it into a tool, first you get what the tool thinks it should do rather than what it probably should do in the first place. But then you just skip that intuition building part, right? And Mike, this is something that you brought up, the, the constraint of some of the off-the-shelf tools that try to help, right? And how uh, sometimes it's better just to get into the code, right? And to have that flexibility to do exactly what you want and you're not locked into whatever some vendor put into their product, right? Yep, and, and we, you know, Got a couple of scripts that kind of do some of that, you know, initial automated cleaning, and there really is nothing worse. Like, oh, I think the data is clean, and you go run it through an algorithm, and then you get a Python error that, oh, this string isn't a number. Well, duh. And then you go back, and all right, maybe something was misparsed, and something wasn't misparsed. Something was generated incorrectly, and so you wind up chasing things all the way back, so then you can make sure everything is is clean in, in every step. We spend, myself, I spend tons of time doing that cleaning and that iterative process of general exploration. And, and we tried, and I don't know how well we did, but on a little plug in the data hacking repo, we have a couple notebooks geared just towards export, exploration, right? Here's a couple graphs, so here's some ways you can do group buys and a pandas data frame, just kind of those little yeah. You've got it in right into a consumable form, but is it really what you expect that it should be? Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think that that I, I think Mike Mike mentioned a key thing about that, and it's not that we're anti tools for cleaning. It's the you if you're going to have a data set, you should probably inspect it and build your own you know build your own stuff to actually go do the cleaning. And there's going to be towards the end of this week because it is talk like a pirate day week. Um, towards the end of this week, there's a a non security post coming on DDS uh, pirate themed, of course. And it's going to show exactly what that data cleanup can look like in a programmatic fashion. So stay stay tuned for that. Even though it isn't security data, it will give you an idea just how bad or good it can be. Nice. Yeah. All right, so, so I'm going to jump to another another link that you had, Bob, about building a spam filter in R. Oh yeah. And and this is a post. Um, and I read through it quick. And the great thing is, it's it's way shorter than I would have expected a blog post talking about how to build a, a spam classifier, right? Yeah, and, and, it's, um, and, it's, and it's not doing the same old, same old, naive, Bayesian, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. yeah. But they ended up doing what, an SVM or something? Yeah, they, they, they actually used a support vector machine to actually do it. Yeah. And, and, actually, and really quickly too, like I mean, really succinctly, I guess is to to use like it's a it's R of course. I mean, I, I do read Python stuff, but I find the R stuff more compelling, and um, as as most people should. And the uh, I just I was pretty impressed at how sparse the R code was, and how there was actually more verbal explanation about what was going on than there was actually R code, which I thought was kind of great. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I like the the part where he said, "We've got these fifty-seven features, but never mind how we came up with them." I think that's probably one of the reasons why it was so short, yeah. short and easy to digest, though. Just right. here's here's the things you should care about. Right. How you do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I yeah again underscoring the fact that 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 feature development is going to be like a majority like after you get data and figure out you're going to clean it up, that's going to be a lot of this classification is like trudging yeah. through that stuff, a yeah. lot trudging through that stuff. And then you get all those features, and then you like hit a button and it's classified. Yeah. You know, it's like oh man, that's so anticlimactic. Yeah, darn, I can now find like C2s easily. Oh man, um, <laughs> that's just horribly. I I I feel like I wasted my time on that. <laughs> Um, but but for for folks that are kind of more familiar with with the traditional spam assessment way of doing things, this is a great thing to read. It's it's pretty. I think it's pretty accessible. If you if you just kind of ignore the R code initially, and yeah. you're just thinking about doing things a little differently than, than you might have thought so before. There's another one from of all places, Marketing Distillery. Yes, I read everything. Sorry. Um, it's like a black hole, just sucking things. Yeah, it is everything. But there are so it's a and it's one of those stupid list-driven posts that's top just ten balls. Yeah, top blah blah things, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's I got it's one of the better ones. Um, it, it gives a ten resources for for basically learning stats, like intro to stats. And the, the cool thing about this is that, like, I, when you see something like this, you're like top ten. It'll be like, you know, they have a picture and like half a paragraph or something. But this is like linking to eBooks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, mo most I think the almost every single one of them was was a, was a free resource. Some of them were books, some of them were courses. Um, we've mentioned a few before, but I think it, it's a great, you know, compact list of things folks can can use, especially now that winter's coming and you know, no one's going to be outside. You'll be freezing. You got nothing to do at night except drink and read. You can do that for here. So, yeah. And along with that, there's another Harvard Business Review post that I also think I tweeted out before. But they talk about uh, it's a, just a it's a high level article, so they're not they're like you know there there is no math warning. I don't have to give any kind of like equation warning or whatever or, or equation trigger warning. Um, but it's basically the same thing. It kind of goes at a high level overview of basically the predictive analytics and just kind of walks through what it is. So if our book wasn't enough and the other resources you're going through weren't enough, you know this is I think a nice great resource to kind of hit and just kind of go through. I gotta disagree with you on this one. Bob. Oh come on! I thought this one was horrible. Oh come on! No, I'm serious. Like it, it's from Harvard Business Review, yeah. right? And they've they've been doing a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, kitschy type things. Fluff posts, yeah. Fluff. Uh, to to put it really mildly, fluff posts. <laughs> and this, I think, falls in that category because they're talking to managers, trying to get them to understand predictive analytics, and at the end, they've got a few good questions to ask your analysts, right? And I, I can't even fathom, like, some manager who's struggling with the terminology anyway to say, are you sure the sample data are, are that they're representative of the population? And a data analyst responding to that, you know, could easily fly off the handle. You know? Like, just go way, and the, the manager, I could just see, like, this blank, sheet-white look come over their face, like, why did I just ask that? Why did that just come out of my mouth, you know? Think boom. Okay, yeah, I, 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 so, I could, I could see where, where you came with that. But if you look at the practitioner who's unfamiliar with some of the terms, yeah, I thought it was a nice, like, safe entry-level gateway drug into potentially. I just, doing more I stuff. just worry anybody who tries to learn predictive analytics from the HBR one single blog post is not going to have a successful adventure dealing with predictive analytics. I don't think you're going to learn all of it, but I think it might. If no, I think, I think that you're just going to learn enough just to shoot your own foot. So I would just be cautious of telling people to go read that and then approach the data data scientists and say, what are the assumptions behind your analysis? And like, you know, just get steamrolled with the answer. It, just, it would be embarrassing, you know. I can just see in three weeks when Jay's completely forgotten about this conversation. I do, I do that till many explode. It's going to be great. <laughs> I do that to me in some meeting. Hey, Jay, what are the assumptions behind your analysis? Could you go through that for the group? Oh gosh. Um, so, and, and we'll we'll close out the link discussion with something that's just purely eye candy. But I thought it was extremely well done eye candy, and I'm not sure how much rounds this made. Um, but uh, the I think a person who works for Microsoft did did, did a surprisingly un-Microsofty thing and used like open web technologies to um, <laughs> to you know I'm I call it like I see it. Sorry guys, and, and Jane knows that, so it is what it is. Um, built this thing called GitHub. It's GitHub.info. Um, we'll have a link again. But it's it's a great analysis of the active languages on GitHub, 
and yeah. really, I mean, I thought the whole, you know, in it, the, they basically he uses a parallel coordinate chart, but also uses bars to communicate, yeah. you know, like you know, like size and stuff. it's just, yeah, it's, it's just really extremely well done. well done. Like it's, I came and it's really clean, really crisp, really responsive, um, and it's, it looks like it's automatically updating from like the the big query data that the stack, the stack, uh, sorry, that the GitHub folks make available. So. Um, it's great stuff, and it, it was also kind of cool to see R, you know, is in is in the, the top list of that stuff too, which is great. Yeah, the, and and the growth. I mean, it's just there's so much stuff, and like I remember clicking around, and I'm like, man, I don't know why it's up here like this, but man, that's cool. Like to your point, it's a whole lot of eye candy. Yeah. But really, the substance. You're like, you know, after looking through it, I'm like, what did I learn? I don't know, but there's a lot of cool languages out there, you know. I mean that that's kind of what I walked with. Super cool to to you know hover your mouse around and stuff like that. Really interesting, but for substance, I don't know how much is there, but it's interesting. It's cool to play with. Yeah. Well, I I, I think more of I, I was I thought of it was more cool for the the um, inspiration for doing a viz like that for some other more, you know more meaningful yes. you know, substantial data. Not not that what you know this guy did wasn't great, but just I think there's a lot of cool te viz techniques there that you can apply. Um, even if you're not going to repeat the exact same thing, take a look at what he did, how he did it, font choice, size, alignment. I mean, just basically all the stuff that we've talked about in the book. But you know, yeah. the, the you know, take a look at the decisions that were deliberately made to make that as presentable, yes. and what what think about what makes it cool to you and what makes it useful to you from an interactive standpoint, and try to replicate that when you're actually building things. So yeah. you know, and, and instead of actually making something like one of our wretched vendor tools that we security folk have to deal with, you know, try to make something cool like this that people can use. Yeah, great visualization. Really, really awesome layout and the the amount of variables that they're recording and conveying in there is really phenomenal. So, I, I dug it. It was gorgeous. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Um, so, Mike, great having you on the podcast. Um, great talking to you. Great getting to know you. It, it's been awesome. I totally appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. Maybe one of these days I can even come back. Absolutely. You gotta come back, yeah. Perfect. It, it's a requirement. We, we we've already had repeats, so you have to come back on. Oh, yeah. done. Yeah, All right, Bob. You got any closing uh, comments or anything? Nah, dude. It's past bedtime. I gotta get out of here. All right. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, dude. Yeah, All thank right. you. Appreciate it. All right, bye, guys.